Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! All right, that's uh, that's Wisecracks' own Michael Luxembourg really making a meal out of uh, Ryan's uh, catchphrase there. Lux, how's it going, man? Not bad. Uh, saw one movie, might see another movie, then going back into lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, I assume the the first movie you saw was, of course, uh, Spider Man: No Way Home. Yes, and then the next movie will be The Matrix. Oh, okay. Um, uh, haven't heard about that, but sounds interesting. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a small movie. <laughs> uh, we are joined today not by the regular Show Me the Meaning crew. Uh, unfortunately, Ryan and Austin both got a. Uh, sucked into an alternate dimension where they they're hosting uh i don't know fucking culture binge right now or something but we are joined by this dimension's culture binge producer maddie Mulderry. how's it going maddie it is great this was i'm a last minute addition but i'm very excited okay well you didn't have to <laughs> tell everybody that well no, no we have to make it clear it's setting up the heroic origin story <laughs> like no one thought she could do it but then <laughs> I'm the Captain, underdog. Yeah. Captain Marvel herself in the uh, in the bottom right corner. And you're you're a big fan of the Marvel movies, right? Yes, I am. All right. Um, um to a fault, I will okay. you'll learn. <laughs> You've lost a lot of friends over this. <laughs> I'm going to. Marvel <laughs> Marvel is Maddie's QAnon. <laughs> um uh, uh, all right, uh moving right along, uh we've got uh, Weisscrack producer Evan, who declined to be on camera today for personal reasons. Listen, I didn't decline. I couldn't. My computer would say, um, no, thank you, and would shut down. <laughs> rude. Oh, the computer's got a rude dude. Um, well, uh, as I'm sure any of you uh, listeners may be able to tell, we're, uh, we're feeling pretty good today. We, uh, we all went to see... Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, this movie is tearing up the box office. Um, we've got a, uh, a little recap of the movie, but uh, before that, what's everyone's initial thoughts on the, uh, on the picture? Lux, you joined us for the Eternals ep, and uh, you, you uh, had a little background. You're something of a, a comic book connoisseur, so I'm curious your thoughts on this. I, I liked it. I thought that it was a strange choice to make a live-action adaptation of Into the Spider-Verse. It was like a weird swing, yeah. but I thought they did a pretty good job with it overall. It was pretty fun. I think they did, much like Eternals, they took a comic that I really think sucks dog shit and uh, made it pretty fun <laughs> and good to watch. Uh, because the One More Day Spider-Man arc is, pow, shoot into the sun. So um, I thought this was a, a good upgrade. And uh, I'm, I'll say it, this is like real cheesy shit, but like I like Tom Holland and Zendaya. And I think that they like have very good chemistry most of the time and they're fun to watch on screen together. So like... That's good for me. I enjoyed that. I, don't know, I thought overall it was, it was a, a pretty solid film. Yeah, unlike Amy Pascal, I think we're all rooting for Tom Holland and Zendaya's off-screen <laughs> romance. I, I believe in those young ones. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, Maddie, you're uh, you're the uh, the resident Marvel stan. What did you think about this picture? Okay, I, I'm I am partial to all the Marvel movies. Like I have fun watching them, so that's already going to be a good thing for me. But it definitely wasn't even close to one of my like top Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. rank, all, um, rank all 26 of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it really coasted off of the nostalgia. And while that was like super fun and it was fun to see, you know, both Spider, all three Spider-Mans together. Um, without that, I think it was not the most interesting Marvel movie. So do you do you think that the movie really kind of like ticked up for you in the uh, the second and third acts? Was it kind of slow going early on? Yeah, well, there's like, a, I don't know if you guys get this, but like a certain excitement of like crossover episodes. Maybe it's because of like being a child and watching like Disney movie, Disney TV shows do that or something. But like even just seeing all the different villains together, like that was like a spark of like, oh, this is super fun. And then it kind of was like, got less interesting and then when the spider-mans came in it like got more fun and then kind of spider-man spider-man yeah <laughs> i don't know if that's correct i think it's spider i think Spi it's actually spider's I think man spider's man yeah, yeah. Spider's <laughs> man. <laughs> i think that's like attorney's general 
So, um, okay, I, I'm eager to unpack that a little bit, Maddie, because I, I do have some thoughts on that as well. But uh, Evan, what do you think, man? How did you, uh, how'd you feel about this movie? Yeah, um, well, first of all, chat, let me know if you can hear me since everyone was curious uh, and I'm not on video. Um, I, like Maddie, am also a pretty big fan of the Marvel stuff. Um, I really look forward to uh, Endgame when it came out, and I'm super excited to see what they see over, do over the next you know, however many years they're going to make this universe continue. Um, I like this movie, didn't love it. Um, I did a lot of personal writing about this uh, movie um, and its press tour and kind of all the marketing around it um, just because I thought it was so fascinating that this was somehow built up to be like the movie of the year um, in a very interesting way. Um, and I think that I was so excited for the trailer, like me, like a lot of other people just sitting there refreshing, waiting for Sony to drop the trailer. And I watched it and I was so excited. I immediately watched it like three more times. And I think that kind of excitement is really bad for a movie, especially for someone like me who is really interested in story and kind of like my mind subconsciously is trying to figure out the story before I even watch the movie. And I think a lot of the reverse engineering my brain was trying to do to figure out where the movie was going took away from just like letting myself enjoy it, as well as being so excited that like a trailer is always going to show you the best moments or, you know, moments that it will draw you in. And it was hard for me to kind of like separate the excitement that I had from the trailer when sitting in the movie. It's like, well, I just want to get to the multiverse stuff. Like, come on, you know, like I'm so that was interesting, but I did really appreciate how this felt like they kind of uh, like inverse of a Spider-Man story in which like the the really core origin beats that we're used to pay off in a really fun and, and kind of unique way in this one uh, as far as where they're placed in the Spider-Man story. But like you said before, Lux, it is very much just into the Spider-Verse uh, <laughs> again. Yeah, this, this movie, I, I kind of made a note of that to discuss later that this movie kind of weirdly... I don't want to say that it subverts the Spider-Man origin, but there is a weird way that it 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 kind of serves as this universe's Spider-Man origin. It was probably the thing that I was most interested in the movie as a whole was that like three solo adventures in and multiple team-ups and crossovers and this really feels kind of like the beginning of this Spider-Man story in a way that I think could be exciting to see where they go from here because it it seems like they've sort of reset the table a little bit for a a more scaled down version of Spider-Man in whatever the next the next sequel might be but you bring up an interesting point Evan that this movie outside of any of the Avengers movies really does feel like the first big event in the Marvel Cinematic Universe I, I can't really think of, other than people getting excited about individual movies, like Black Panther was huge, but that movie wasn't being sold as an event the way that you were saying this movie was being sold as an event. Um, this this really feels like because they need some time to uh, reset the stage for whatever whatever iteration their next team up takes when they start... I'm sure they'll start including the Fantastic Four and the X-Men after the Fox acquisition and what have you. Um, but this definitely feels like the big main event tentpole, tentpole type movie that all of the smaller ones would generally lead up to when, when the Avengers were, uh, were on the playing field. Um, well, that's because Spider-Man is the juice, though, right? Like, it's important to remember that the reason we have the Avengers as we have the Avengers is because Marvel couldn't sell is because those... Is because Sony had Spider-Man. Well, yeah, well, and specifically because Marvel couldn't sell Sony, Iron Man, and Thor, and shit. Sony was like... Well, Iron Man, Iron Man was at New Line at the time. None of yeah. this is interesting. But the point, the point <laughs> is that, like, Marvel was trying yeah, to yeah. sell these dudes, and these are the ones people wanted. So, like, Spider-Man's yeah. always been the juice. Even more... X-Men is a better comic book. Fucking fight me. But... Spider-Man has always been like the most popular and beloved Marvel character. Um and like I think that's that's been true for since like the 70s. Yeah, and I I think it's kind of interesting that now that they've they've reached this sort of agreement with Sony where they can have this I don't know if it's a tenuous relationship how much of the back and forth we see in the press is just public negotiations um to keep this ball in the air between two shared universes it's kind of interesting how they're folding like the venoms and by extension you know morbius and all the other spider-men into this world now i'm curious to see if they they try to play with that any further in movies going forward 
Um, but uh, let's get to a recap. I, I think maybe we have already spoiled a bit much. Apologies if that's the case. But uh, from this point on, it's kind of tough to talk about this movie. Consider this your warning. Uh, so a quick recap here. After having his secret identity revealed at the end of the last Spider-Man movie, Peter Parker is desperate to regain his anonymity at any cost. He seeks out the help of his Avengers castmate, Doctor Strange, and together they attempt to cast a spell that would make everyone in the world forget Spider-Man's alter ego. The spell is compromised when complications ensue, and as a result, Peter Parker is still known to the public both in his dimension and others. The flawed spell summons actors from previous Spider-Man adaptations through tears in the multiverse, with Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus, and Jamie Foxx's Electro leading the charge through the interdimensional rift. They're soon followed by Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Peter Parkers, who are looking to lend Tom Holland a hand with the quickly expanding rogues gallery. Violence ensues as their worlds collide, and poor Aunt May gets caught in the crossfire. Mortally wounded by an attack from Green Goblin, she delivers Uncle Ben's famous last words of wisdom to Tom Holland before dying in the young hero's arms. The three Spider-Men devise a plan to neutralize the villainous characteristics of the film's many antagonists before sending them all back to their home dimensions. In the process, they learn a thing or two about fellowship and forgiveness before Doctor Strange successfully casts a spell that resets the multiverse and, in the process, erases any memory of Peter Parker even from his closest friends, including his beloved MJ. The film ends with Peter renting a rundown apartment, resigned to a life of sacrifice and fortitude, as he learns to exercise his great power with a renewed sense of responsibility. So before we get into uh, the discussion here, uh, I got to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can connect with other like-minded creatives and explore projects that you are passionate about. You can unleash your creativity and pursue your passion right from the convenience of your home. They offer thousands of classes for creative and curious people on topics such as iPhone photography, editing, drone filmmaking, classes on improving productivity, photography for social media, composition, artivism, and so much more. So if you want to explore your creativity and connect with some cool people, go to Skillshare.com slash SMTM and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership. That is Skillshare.com slash SMTM and you get a free trial of their premium membership or click the link down in the show notes. Uh, okay, so everything's out on the table there. We talked a little bit about how this movie weirdly kind of serves as an origin story. It maybe wipes the slate clean a little bit. Peter Parker ends in a place of like, he's totally anonymous again, even to the people that he loves. And he sort of swings off at the end of this movie to, to try and fight some crime and do some good out in uh, this weary world. But I'm, I'm curious kind of to start from the ending and, and maybe not necessarily work backwards, but I think that's an interesting place to start because this really does kind of feel like the character's origin in a way. And I'm curious, Lux, you're a comic book reader and, and you've read the, the books that this most closely is adapted from, but just in general, I'm curious how you think and, and how everyone thinks this character, or rather this conception of the Peter Parker character stacks up against not only his comic book counterpart, but some of the other Peter Parkers that, uh, that enter the frame in this film. So I, it's hard to compare Peter Parkers to other Peter Parkers in the sense that like, they're all trying to do different things, right? Um, in ver in various ways. But I think what I can say is that this movie finally got Tom Holland to best Peter Parker setting. Like Peter Parker as a character always is best when he's hanging out in a weird apartment and sewing his own suit and doesn't have the benefits of like power and money behind him. Um, that is like that is why New Avenger Spider Man is not very good. And that is why that is why they made the much maligned One More Day where Peter Parker and Mary Jane make a deal with Mephisto to like undo their marriage in a bunch of time and history so that like people can forget his identity and, and some other stuff. Um and also to save Aunt May from dying, uh, is another reason they do that. But like the whole that's that's sort of done to sort of get him back to this place because he works best as your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, who occasionally gets, like, sucked up into the big leagues because there's, like, a secret war or a civil war or, or a secret empire or whatever. 
and I think it is weird. Like you do lose some of that that charm, that that aspect of the character when he's like outfitted with drone technology and, and stuff. Yeah, like, which is why I, I, don't, I thought Tom Holland's like my favorite Peter Parker, my least favorite Spider Man, if that makes sense, of the actors. Sure, kind of makes um, sense. And uh, I think like this, George Clooney's the best Bruce Wayne, but he's maybe not a great <laughs> exactly. Bad. Like, Tom Holland's really good at those, like, scenes where he's like, I'm in high school and I'm nerdy but somehow hot and I'm awkward, weird. Um, <laughs> and he's, like, really good in those moments and he's and that's rules. But then I think both McGuire and even, frankly, Garfield do a little better job of actually being the superhero guy. Um, but partly because of the narrative that they're given. And so I thought this was good in that sense of getting him back there uh, and also letting him kind of play off those guys and, and sort of show us the difference. Like, Garfield's more of a nerd. Toby's more of an ethics guy. Uh, Holland's a little bit more of like a modern millennial like kind of burnout type like or like dealing with burnout type so like I think it was it was fun to put him in context that way um, and it gets him back to a good place for the character where he gets to do the most fun stuff will they make those movies who knows but it's like it's cool when the Spider-Man story is like a man kidnapped a cat and his car is a little faster than a usual car who can stop <laughs> it <laughs> um, Maddie I'm curious because this is Correct me if I'm wrong. Are you are you a big comic book reader, or are you just more into the movies and just into the movies? So, uh, are you specifically like MCU? You said you you go to all these and you really really dig them. But for you, this movie really picked up when the previous iterations of the character made it onto the screen. Were you a huge fan of those earlier ones as well? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had only seen the. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 once, like, when they came out. So I, like, kind of forgot what Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was all about, you know? Like, what his vibe was in contrast to the other two. And he, like, stood out to me. And I think to everyone, because on He's Twitter, really yeah. everyone's been talking about Andrew Garfield. And I think I rewatched The Amazing Spider-Man last night. And I think he just got a bad rap because that movie is not very well written. Or, like, it's just not a very fun watch. And I think, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, from Spider-Man, he's, like, the most light of all the movies. You know, like, you watch him, you're like, this is going to be fun to watch. This is going to be, like, his whole attitude is, like, a little quirky and not in the same way as Iron Man, where he's, like, making, like, quippy jokes, if that makes sense. Like, watching Spider-Man just feels like, Oh, this no, nothing in this movie is going to get too existential, which is not true for this movie. It like went there. <laughs> yeah, but, this movie really feels at times like kind of a reclamation project for him in a way, and I, I think he was one of the best parts of it. I, I really liked. Yeah, it. he was awesome. Um, but do do you agree yeah. with Lux that uh, that Tom Holland is a great Peter Parker? For me, for my money, I don't think anyone quite captures the boyish charm of Peter Parker uh, quite like Toby Mag- Toby Maguire, probably the youngest man to ever play the role. I think Tom I, Tom Holland's my favorite for both. And but do you think he looks younger than Toby Maguire? I mean, even today, Toby Maguire, you could you could swap <laughs> yeah, him definitely. out with Tom Holland immediately, <laughs> and you would. No one I was like, it it tripped me out to see old spider men's yeah i was like they can't grow up they're in high school it is kind of weird to see because it's it i don't know if it's like the james bond thing that you know once an actor or performer sort of ages out of this type of work they either get recast or with this cinematic universe you know the the mantle passes from uh, from from Chris Evans to Anthony Mackie, for example, um, and I am kind of curious. Like, I guess with Spider Man, they they now have this door open to where like, oh, they can pass the mantle to a Miles Morales, uh, which I imagine is what they will eventually do in this series. But it it is strange to see like also because everything gets rebooted so consistently now, and and Spider Man's the prime example of that. Um, it is kind of weird to see, like, as old as he looked in the movies that he was in, Tobey Maguire, yeah, like, he looks even older now. <laughs> and, it, and it is so weird to see, like, uh, 40 years old. <laughs> like, it, <laughs> it's just a surprise. Like, I, that was one aspect of it that, like, I still, I, but I kind of appreciate it, though. It, it sort of gives you that sense of, like, it, he he comes into the movie with a certain equanimity as compared to, to Andrew Garfield, who still feels so haunted, and and Tom Holland, who is still kind of like trying to 
find the balance between like exercising his power responsibly and just having a good time being Spider-Man at times. Oh, uh, one thing that we we're making a video about Spider-Man uh, coming out later this week, I think on Friday. Um, and one detail that I, I pointed out that I'm not sure made the final cut is that when we're introduced to the different Spider-Men, like um, Andrew Garfield is introduced in his costume, right? And Tobey Maguire is introduced in like normal people clothes. And that kind of distinction between how they've chosen to live their lives after, you know, like their big events and what they've chosen to do with their life intertwined with being Spider-Man and being a superhero. You know, Toby is like found a family life and um, Andrew Garfield is like sunk himself into his work, into being Spider-Man. And you have Tom Holland, whose costume is broken throughout the whole movie, constantly in this in-between state. Um, and so on a visual level, I thought that was like a little, a nice touch um, as, you know, they've established this whole theme of I identity throughout the movie. Just to like go off that, I, I was definitely thinking a similar thing at the end where just like having seen Tobey Maguire sort of living a normal life and like he really felt like he found acceptance with everything that happened to him and was at peace with everything. I think even though Tom Holland's ending of this movie was so sad and uh, he was alone, thinking about Tobey Maguire as like, oh, he has that in his future. Like, he's not just going to end as like high school Spider-Man. He's going to grow in the same way Tobey Maguire, P Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker had time to grow and, you know, process these things, if that made sense. Yeah, no, absolutely does. I, th I think there's an interesting idea that this movie opens up, which is this notion of like, Tom Holland being I think at this point I'm just gonna call them by their actor names because it's easier than saying like Peter Prime or whatever um but Peter three <laughs> that was one of the best, um, line. Peter, one of the best one. line reads the entire movie Andrew Garfield's good in it's this. so crazy how oh. uh just really quickly Maddie kind of got this it's the gap between his performance in this movie and his performance in the amazing spider's man uh are it's crazy like He's fine in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, I guess. Like he's all right, and like part of that has to do with the fact the movies are kind of well poorly written and 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 pretty, I would say, wildly poorly directed. Um, but that said, he hey, he's easy saying that around Evan. He's a big fan of uh, Mark Webb. Hey, oh boy, <laughs> let's not let's not get into this. <laughs> I know that I know that I'm being sincere. I cannot Evan, believe I, they cast a man named Mark Webb to direct. Look, that. I, look, <laughs> I'm not going to impinge Mr. Webb's career. <laughs> I'm saying Mr. Webb Mr. had Web. a couple misses back there in those 2010s with the Amazing Spider-Man. A couple misses? Um, what is he, a Mormon? That's a terrible joke. Oh, boy. All right. Um, the Josh... Nope, not doing it. I'm just not even going to talk about what I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> um, so, but what I was going to say um, is just that the... Like, his performance, Garfield's performance in this movie is so good. And it makes me kind of retroactively bummed about the Amazing Spider-Mans because it's like look at this dude you could have just been uncorking for these movies and you just had him like wrapped yeah. up in like fake Hot Topic vibes for four and a half hours. Well, yeah. two things on that note. One is that I think that Andrew Garfield uh, also may have, I don't want to say that he, he wasn't a good actor back then. I, was, I think he was a wonderful actor at the time. But I think that this is a much more like assured performance than he maybe would have been capable of giving back then. Even if like all things equal, if the scripts were better, if the movies were better, it still is a lot to put on a young actor's shoulders to be like, okay, you're the new face of the biggest franchise in the world. And I, I, I can imagine that that is like, it, that, that comes with a whole lot of pressure. Whereas this movie in the way that he's being deployed in it, it gives him much more traditional dramatic beats to play and he doesn't have the the onus of having to carry this series, and I I do think that 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 is to uh, his his character and his performance's benefit. And the second thing I would say is that um, on that note, I think he's been kind of candid about he has some misgivings about how everything was handled with that franchise. I don't know if y'all have ever read or seen any interviews with him that he's been doing lately, where he's he's talked a little bit about how. Uh, he he wasn't too happy with how things were handled with the Amazing Spider's Man, but um, you know, I I, I don't know. I I mean, he's definitely getting a lot of attention for this, and I'd say for good reason. I I really do think he's wonderful in it, and I I wouldn't be surprised if now that they've kind of rebooted interest in in him as the character, if he showed up in like the Venom movies or the Morbius movies or whatever like Sinister Six series they spin off over at Sony. 
on on this note, I'm curious. We've we've talked a little bit about like how you know these characters will maybe be recast or someone else will take up the mantle. And Lux, you mentioned early on that you feel like Spider-Man's at his best in those sort of scaled down stories where he can be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. But do do y'all think that like in in the way that this Spider-Man movie plays on the same level as like an Avengers movie. Do you think that like the demands of this series as like an ongoing and indefinite thing that constantly has to escalate and constantly has to one up, not just the last movie in each individual arc, but the last movie of 25. Do you like, is that even compatible with the notion of a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man within this universe? And I know, Evan, you had some thoughts on, like, uh, the IP of it all and where this goes from here. But I'm, I'm curious what y'all think. Like, uh, Maddie, it, it, I, I know if – I recently rewatched the, the Tobey Maguire ones, and those ones do feel so quaint by comparison. I think it's why they, they kind of stick a little bit more. There's a, a more character-driven charm to them. Do you, do you ever see Tom Holland's uh, characterization being able to, like – reach those levels of like one-to-one engagement. I don't know what the future is for like where they're going to go with this, but that's what I was hoping this ending implied. But then at the end of the day, if I'm watching a movie with Tom Holland as Spider-Man that starts out with nobody knowing him, I, at the end of it still want like Zendaya to remember him, you know, like I want it to escalate to that point for him to live a, happy life but so I guess like I feel conflicted about that because I do like the idea of just you know the yeah like you said friendly neighborhood spider-man yeah let's keep going sorry oh I was gonna say I just want to amend something I said earlier about spider-man not really getting existential because the other spider-mans do I think it's just uh they feel like I think it's you pinpointed it that they feel more contained about it Unless, like, they're going to keep getting more and more, like, uh, the universe is just smaller in those movies. sure. Yeah, to Um, kind of bring it back to what you just said, Ray, I feel like the movies, you know, the the stakes of it all, right? Like, the world-ending stakes, the universe-ending stakes, like, can a new, can each new installment be bigger than the last one? I, and should it be, you know, I think is going to be a problem that they're going to have to work with for, like, the next 10 years, because... It's going to be, you know, they're going to be pumping out TV shows and movies and people are just going to have to accept that, like, we can't always have the events. And I I am kind of concerned that the TV shows may become like, oh, that's where we do our smaller stories or, you know, our lower budget stories in the parlance of the uh, of the production process, because I think there there should be a place for those. I mean, especially like. I know that a lot of these movies were delayed because of the pandemic, but I think three or four Marvel movies came out this year and they, they all felt of a similar scale and a, a similar energy. And I'm not a huge fan of these pictures. Um, but I do think that like, if we're going to be treated to two, three, four of them a year, I'd like a little, a, a little bit of variation at least, but uh, Lux, what well, do you I, think? It seems like you got, I, I uh, pretty in line with what you just said. I think that the, a, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man movies can play in that space of, like, varying up what we get from the theater Marvel experience. So everything doesn't have to be Endgame or or even, like, on the scale of, like, a Black Panther or something, right? Like, um, it can be a little more self-contained. And also, like, that's, like, a, a couple parts of the fun, right? Like, the what Maddie said about, like, wanting to, to see him get back together with MJ and stuff, that can be a running, dramatic situation that undergirds a whole bunch of, of little movies and little stories, and that can be a really fun thing there. It's kind of where the Tobey Maguire movies start. Yeah. Way, or the Sam Raimi movies. Exactly. Um, not where the comics start. First, he's in love with Gwen Stacy, and then she falls off a bridge, and the bridge that they say the bridge is is not the bridge that they draw. Very confusing. Um, <laughs> and she falls so off... Everyone, his... everyone in the chat who is waiting for that commentary... She falls off what is, <laughs> looks like the Brooklyn Bridge. They call it the George Washington Bridge. Um, doesn't matter. But what does matter is that, like, so there's, like, the MJ thing, and then also the fun of Spider-Man in these secret empires or civil wars or whatever is always that this guy is like, I'm used to grabbing the rhino when he robs a jewelry store, but now I'm fighting a spaceship with eight arms. And, like, 
that <laughs> yeah. that him being the out of place character and getting to do that kind of quippy comedy and getting to sort of give the audience a character to latch onto who doesn't belong in the great like Skrull Cree space war, like does a lot of work and only works that way if he is the smaller scale character, like. If it's not totally normalized by the third time you see it. Yeah, like, it kind of worked that way in Infinity War at the beginning... Well, it worked that way at the beginning of Infinity War because all of, like, the crazy space tech is, like, a reveal and stuff. But then once we know he has the crazy space tech, he's no longer really the quippy underdog in space. He's just, like, another space guy. Um, Yeah. And so I think... He's just Tony Stark with eight arms. Yeah, he's, like, Tony Stark with with, with eight arms, like, has not yet developed his alcohol problem. Um, Oh, if they ever do an Iron Man movie that's just about the alcoholism arc, I will be the happiest boy to ever live. Not relevant, but true. Um, they may have uh, shot their shot with uh, Iron Man 2. Though. Yeah, Iron Man 2 and 3, like, get toward... Whiffed. They get towards it, but they don't really do it where he's, like, on the plane and he's, like, yelling at everyone. It doesn't matter. Um, but if they bring back Iron Lad, then uh, uh-huh. a whole, whole bunch of There's an Iron Lad? There's an Iron Lad. Is of, there an Iron Boy? There's all sorts of Iron folks. Yeah. Um. But the, Maddie, do you? Is there who's an your Iron favorite? Girl? Who's your favorite? Well, Riri Williams. Well, Riri, Williams is Iron Man? Riri Williams is Iron Man for a little bit. Then I think she becomes Iron Heart. Um, she's a very cool character. Cool. Um, but uh, they like yeah. I just think that this is you can't. Everyone can't be Omega level mutants. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone can't be the biggest, most like huge, super powered guy on screen at all times. Um, like, there has to be characters who overcome things and struggle, and there have to be characters with different perspectives. And I think Spider-Man gives you a great sort of, like, character who struggles and overcomes things, is the underdog, and gives you this, like, regular guy in space perspective. Like, he's just a boy from Queens. He's, like, not meant to fight the Shi'ar Guardians. Like. Yeah. And and I think that owes to uh, what, what Maddie was saying. Sorry, go go ahead, Maddie. Oh, no. I'll go after you. Oh, all I was going to say is that, like, I, I do think that's reflected in you know, a lot has been written about like Marvel's villain problem, quote unquote, of their their villains kind of being just sort of not very engaging and a little bit one note. And then as Maddie said, as soon as like Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe show up in this, you're like, okay, now we're cooking with gas. And I, I do think it's, th- there is something to be said about that very simple kind of like objective oriented villain that was uh, present in those early superhero iterations that like, I don't know, Doc Ock just wanted to, like, rob banks so he could make a new machine to uh, power his fusion reactor. And uh, Willem Dafoe was just um, being Willem Dafoe. <laughs> like, but, uh, Maddie, I'm, I'm curious, what, what were you going to chime in with? Oh, just on, on the note of, like, what you guys have both been saying, do you think that with Marvel we're past the point of, like, if you watch Iron Man again, you're like, oh, this is just a movie, like, a standalone movie. And when you watch all the other Marvel movies, they're Marvel movies. Do you think we're past the point of, like, a Marvel character that where you're just like, oh, this is just a good movie? I think the Guardians movies still have a little bit of that because they're removed enough from the rest of the universe. Um, I, I really like the the two Guardians of the Galaxy films. Um, but I also do think that the first Iron Man movie, as far as, like, these movies being able to stand alone is probably one of the rare pictures in the universe that, that works on its own that f- focuses on a major character, but that makes sense because that's where it all started. Yeah. Um, I feel like the Dr. Strange one, I mean, I was pretty bummed out on Dr. Strange when I first saw it. Um, and the, the Tilda Swinton casting aside, um, I actually on my rewatch found myself liking that movie a lot more and really felt like it was more of a committed vision to a movie than a lot of the other Marvel movies had been for like a really long time. Having a fucking superhero specific special effects suite goes a long fucking way every like just having the fact yeah, that special yeah. effects work different and look different in Doctor Strange movies makes them sweet. But like yeah. you get you get Spider-Man inside of a tunnel made out of trains. Come on, like that rules. That's fucking awesome. It's pretty cool. And and there there is that weird like escalation problem that these movies have where I remember watching Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire and being like, yeah, you just got way too many villains. It's like, I mean, I think Batman Returns is a far more successful film, but I don't necessarily know that he has to fight Catwoman and Penguin and Christopher Walken. Um whereas this one is like 
not only do we have five villains now, but we also have three Spider-Men. And I, I do think at some point, like, this this is a kind of premise that is a little bit like use once and destroy. Um, you know, maybe they they used it twice with this and Spider-Verse. Um, but I I just don't see where this individual series can go from here other than significantly scaling it back and and trying to like refocus on what makes the character so winning. Um, but uh, I am curious, Evan, you, you had some thoughts that you, you said you talked to uh, Michael about after the two of you went and saw the movie together. Yeah, uh, oh, so Mike, uh, yeah. Michael Burns. Uh, Michael, Michael Burns, of course, yeah, of, uh, of Wisecrack fame, of Culture Binge fame. Shout out Culture Binge. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Michael Burns and I went to the same screening. Uh, Michael sat in the back row, and I got a great seat, so we did not plan to sit together. Um, but yeah, we got out of it, and we're trying to think about some ideas for the video. Really wanted well, to make clear that you weren't No, we were not together. We were okay. not together. Wonder how Mike um, was going to feel about that, but go on. Um, but yeah, one of the things that we talked about was just how much the movie was kind of like in conversation with the fans and, and, and itself just based on like the sheer amount of not only referential material as far as Easter eggs, but just as far as like how they're leaving things open for potential, you know, um, crossovers or, or, or the way that they could set things up, you know, you know, what comes to mind immediately is like Jamie Foxx's conversation with Andrew Garfield being like, there's gotta be a black Spider-Man out there. You know, the movie is set up and written in such a way where there's so many references, so many different people from different things that they can go out and focus group this, get data from social media, see who's sticking, see what works. And then Sony, which still has the rights to Spider-Man, from what I understand, can just go out and make whatever the most, you know, fan appropriate movie is going to be. Because the movie gave the fans, I mean, of, you know, of which we all are to a certain degree, like lots of things that we did want and wanted to see. Um, and whether that, whether or not that is a good thing is, uh, hard to say. Um, and I know Lux doesn't believe in the concept of, of fan service, uh, but I feel like it is fan service here. I just, I just don't, uh, okay, yeah. let me clarify that position really quickly. <laughs> I just don't think fan service is a bad thing in, like, most cases. Like, the goal of making movies, especially big fucking blockbuster movies, is to get the audience, like, pop and feel good about stuff. And so in most cases, fan service is just giving the people what they want. And obviously there are movies and stories where giving people what they want is directly opposed to the goal of the narrative. And it's like, yeah, then don't do that. But like having fucking Willem <laughs> Dafoe have some fun lines is like, that's good to me. I think that's fine. Everyone in the audience gets super excited about it. Like we all get to have our communal thing. This is our last like monoculture. Like let's enjoy it. Or at least like, I just, I find it very frustrating. Uh, Maddie, sure, sure. How, how, as a as a fan waiting to be serviced, Maddie, how do you feel about that? Uh, I think I'm as much as I I want like what I want to happen to happen. I also don't think that that would make for the best movies, and so I I agree. I don't think that they should go by only like what the fans want to see. They should try and surprise us and come up with things that are unexpected if that's a possibility do you do you feel like even though this film was kind of indexing off of into the spider-verse and even though they had introduced some of the uh previous characters in the trailer and stuff do you feel like this movie still had some tricks up its sleeve like were you surprised when you were sitting in your seat were you delighted i was delighted but i wasn't surprised uh i think Evan was saying about like watching the trailer and getting really excited. And I definitely think that happened to me. I thought it was going to be a bigger deal for like this whole multiverse storyline. Um, and I thought Dr. Strange was going to be like, he was a big part of it in terms of the plot, but not in the movie. Um, I thought he was going to be bigger. Uh, and the way it ended, is like a huge deal for Peter Parker, but not a huge deal for everyone else. Cause they don't know. So I was a little disappointed in that regard of like how it's going to affect the rest of the series. But in terms of like, you know, I wanted, I was just like, oh yeah, we're going to see all the villains and all the Spider-Mans and we're going to get to see them. <laughs> and we've make never jokes. wanted anything more. Yeah. On, honestly, it's like, this is so fun. <laughs> um, I'm curious just from like a, uh, a, a more wisecrack 
perspective, just to turn the conversation a little bit, Lux, you had said earlier that like um, Andrew Garfield represents kind of the uh, more science-based approach and Tom Holland is kind of doing a sort of Gen Z riff where he has a sort of natural aptitude with technology, but he's definitely standing on the shoulders of other folks a little bit more. And then Tobey Maguire is bringing in this sort of grounded, more ethically based sort of mediating energy. And that's kind of a a running through line for a lot of Marvel movies where like so many of the heroes and the villains are self-made in for better or worse, whether it's you know, technology that goes wrong and fuses to uh, Doc Ock's body or uh, Spider-Man gets bitten by uh, a, a, an experimental spider or Iron Man goes off and makes his own suit through sheer uh, smarts and, uh, and and technological aptitude. I'm, I'm curious how y'all see this movie as kind of like maybe not necessarily a refutation of, uh, of technology uh, and... Uh, I think by the end of the movie, I kind of read it as him sort of having to, like, put away all of the enabling factors of heroism and focus on, like, the the one most important thing for a hero, which is his innate decency and sense of responsibility. I'm curious how you guys think of this movie and all of these movies in general, sort of what direction they pull in. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. There's a couple of things there. I think the first thing – so I'll start Spider-Man specific and I'll move more broadly. Um Spider-Man specific, one thing is that, like, if you look at the Sam Raimi movies, right, it's like, uh, fucking the bank's gonna foreclose on Aunt May's house, Peter lives in the shitty apartment, like, there's real economic sort of, uh, like, uh, sort of travails he's dealing with, and that's not real in the Marvel ones, right, because his best friend is Tony Stark. It's Tony so Stark, it's like, yeah. okay, like, sure, like, oh no, Elon Musk, can you buy me an apartment? He's like, okay, sure. Um... <laughs> like that's that's built into the story and so you lose a lot of that and i think that 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 tension is like part of the because part of the spider-man thing right is like negotiating superhero regular guy dichotomy and and like finding a space in there that makes sense and if you are liberated from economics entirely because your best friend's a bajillionaire you don't really have to navigate normal guy stuff like normal guy <laughs> stuff is like like, you know, like when I bike over to Burger King and I'm like, all right, I've got six dollars to spend on lunch. What's it going to be <laughs> like? That's normal guy shit. That's normal guy shit is not like, oh, let me just call uh, my my surrogate father to give me a spaceship. And so there's that. And then also importantly, the Spider-Man is so the original wording of the great responsibility quote is, I think, with great power, mu- there must be great responsibility. So its position is much more of like an ethical like demand as opposed to, like, a causal relationship. Um, and I think that's really core, is this thing of, like, Peter figuring out what... And this is, like, the old, like, 70s uh, comics version. But, like, yeah. Like, figuring out, like, what his responsibilities are and, like, what what his power demands of him and where that fits in. I think that it's hard to explore that, again, when he's got... When he's a new Avenger and he's got all these toys and shit. Um, because then it's like, duh, your responsibility is fighting fucking Thanos, dude. But, like... In the context where he's smaller, that choice is a little bit more navigable. And I think that that's, now to talk about this in Marvel terms, I think that's a lot more interesting because you get all these myths of like these self, or these stories of these like self made guys, and then it's like their morals have led them to this point. So obviously they're gonna do XYZ, and they're not really usually negotiating with the right or wrong of it unless like, like an external force comes in and is like, but what if you're wrong? Um, and I think for Peter Parker and for Marvel in general, those should be conversations that are happening internally to the characters. And they should be reckoning with these kind of things. And I'm hopeful that they sort of start getting towards that with the multiverse stuff and like start to get away from these sort of like more straight line event things and get into stuff that raises these questions of like, like what if you're if you're a self-made bajillionaire like Tony Stark, well, Tony Stark had a rich dad. Like if you're a, you know, if you're a rich guy like Tony Stark and you're also Iron Man, like what do you actually owe society like, is it more than the average person? Is it less? Like, how does that work? Uh, just to be mm. clear, the answer is way more. Um, but, uh, <laughs> like, that's something the characters should be figuring out on screen. And so it's interesting to think that they might be going and negotiating in that direction a little bit. Um, because, like, A, you know, you, I mean, A, there's my personal politics, which is like, duh. But also, like, it's a good dramatic question of, like, what does it mean to be a superhero? And what are the confines of that, like, demand? 
And I'm curious, Maddie, as our uh, sort of resident Marvel maven, do you feel like these movies sort of knowingly engage with that dichotomy? Like, are they terribly concerned with... I, I know that obviously there's the Civil War arc where the they lock horns over notions of how best to police the world uh, versus like, should there be a world police force at all? Um, but beyond that, like, do, do you feel that undercurrent in any of these movies, that, that sort of ethical dilemma? Yeah, I think it's, especially in Iron Man and Spider-Man, I mean, no, in, in all of them, because even in Captain the Winter Soldier, they explore that a lot, all from different angles. But, um, you know, it's a huge deal for Sam Wilson to consider being Captain America and, like, what does that mean for him and you know, for the world to have a black Captain America and does he want to represent that? And, you know, with Spider-Man and every Spider-Man movie, it's, you know, is it Peter's responsibility to protect people with these powers when no one asked him to? And, you know, Iron Man is constantly struggling with the exact same thing, basically. But uh, they haven't, answered it because I think that that is like a real through line for all these movies and you know there is no answer for it well they touch on something interesting with Andrew Garfield in this where when he's kind of trying to elucidate the consequences of uh of not acting responsibly or, or wielding your power responsibly he talks about how like he let bitterness take over and the words I think he says are like, I stopped pulling my punches. And there, there is a really interesting disparity in, in power between someone like Dr. Strange who can, you know, rend the fabric of the universe at will or Tony Stark who can reshape the world, uh, you know, essentially to his image through uh, his sheer force of uh, financial means and and his influence uh, around the world. And then you have someone like Spider-Man who up until this iteration is like, yeah, he has incredible powers, but he's pretty limited to the degree that he can influence. Like he can't be everywhere at once. He, you know, he can, like you said, Lux, he can catch a zooming car or he can stop a bank robbery, but he can't, he can't be everywhere, even if he can be anywhere. Um, but I'm I'm curious, Evan. Is there is there any movie that sticks out in your mind uh, within this series that that really does it right and and like uh, puts some compelling answers to these questions out there? No, I mean I kind of what Maddie was saying before. I don't think that they can like answer the questions because I think they're also like afraid to take a stance on certain things. Um, we covered a little bit in our uh, our Captain America in the Winter or yeah Captain America in the Winter Soldier video. Um, about just like, you know, them not totally committing to a point about like, you know, Marvel, uh, about the Avengers slash like America's role in being like a world police force. Um, yeah, I think it's just about like, you know, continuing these plot lines and through lines and just having them, you know, like the fact that we can even talk about that at all in relation to a superhero movie I guess is, you know, compelling enough to keep it as a through line. Um, so we've been talking a little while. Um, I think we're, uh, we're coming up near the, uh, the end time here, but uh, do any of y'all have any, uh, any final thoughts, any, uh, any last plaudits or uh, words of wisdom uh, as it pertains to Spider-Man uh, No Way Home? I, I'm curious for you guys, did the Aunt May death affect you as much as the Uncle Ben deaths in the other movies? Because for me, it really didn't. I, And I feel like it's because they made it more of her choice to have stayed in that situation. Whereas in the other two, it was like 100% Peter's fault that Uncle Ben was in that situation. Um, I'll, uh, I'll say first, I, I don't really remember that stuff in The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I've only seen that once in theaters and also because... I had seen that beat in the Tobey Maguire thing. I don't necessarily know that it, it would have stuck out in my head other than like, oh, okay, yeah, that's Spider-Man's origin story. Like, 
I, I mean, if you showed me four different shots of Martha Wayne's pearls getting scattered across an alley, <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to say, like, that one's from Batman, that's from <laughs> Batman Begins, or whatever. Um, but uh, I will say, and this is maybe, uh, you know, uh, a somewhat cantankerous response because I'm I'm not all that invested in this. To me, it felt like not necessarily perfunctory because I I do think it was sort of a clever way that they deployed it within this universe. But it was also just like, all right, yeah, you know, I've seen this. This is what makes Spider Man Spider Man. And I also think, in the back of my mind, knowing that they were using Tony Stark as the sort of de facto Uncle Ben in this universe up until this point, it it kind of felt like one of those things where. Similar to like Andrew Garfield grabbing MJ in this one to kind of redeem himself after letting Gwen Stacy die in number one or number two of, of his series. Um, it just felt like one of those things where like I can hear someone in a writer's room like, Eureka, I've thought of yeah. a, a thing we can do with Marissa Tomei. Um, since we've wasted her in all these other movies. <laughs> but I don't know. What do you think, Evan? Um, yeah, um, I, I kind of agree with you. I I was definitely affected by it in the moment, um, but a little bit of me was having that kind of like Tony Stark, you know, Uncle Ben analogy kicking in the back of my mind where it did feel vaguely like, you know, like hat on a hat in the loosest terms. But I did think that um, it definitely, it did surprise me even though it shouldn't have. And uh, so overall I liked it and it was affected, but maybe not as, you know, meaningful kind of looking back. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to be the bad guy here. I thought it was dog shit. Um, <laughs> well, and, and Maddie, I Maddie mean, kind of gestured. Yeah, I, I was a little bit more diplomatic, Maddie, but I Maddie gestured to exactly why I think this, that like the core of the Uncle Ben thing, going back to, again, the 70s comics, is Peter makes a choice to not do a thing or to do a thing, and it puts Uncle Ben in jeopardy and he dies. Right. And in this iteration, Aunt May is like, you gotta just let all these fucking crazy guys come to our house. You just have to do it. It's the only reasonable choice. And so he, he's like, I think I'm going to end the movie now. And she's like, no. Yeah. There was, there was also a big part of me where I was like, this is not the, the sort of like fox chicken bag of wheat problem. Like you could just leave four of these dudes in the energy chambers and like, okay, we're going to go do uh, Willem right. Dafoe first. All right. Here's your green juice. Yeah, All yeah. Right. Yeah. Or you just leave them in there and just like take samples and shit. Like you're, you're. Not only are you a scientist, but your two interdimensional friends are scientists and you have a wizard and your two regular friends are science genius teens. Like you should have been able to figure out a proper <laughs> testing, uh, testing procedure. But like, so I, and so it just like, it felt really hollow to me because like, it sucks because I thought Marissa Tomei like actually performed the shit out of that scene. I thought she was really good as a performer in that moment, but I just couldn't buy it or feel it really because... Like it's, it just never, it just didn't work. Right. Like it just, because it it didn't have any of the narrative juice or character juice to it, it just felt perfunctory and kind of obvious. And like, we have to get the responsibility line in. And like, I, like, I liked a lot of things about this movie. That was one of the things I really didn't like. Um, and it was just like very transparent. It's like, it was very transparently just like, Oh, we're going to kill this lady so that this boy can like learn an important lesson. And it's like, how is he not either he's already learned this lesson or like he's like it it doesn't do anything it's like so it was just like i don't know it felt it it did not work for me really at all it was like one of the only parts where the movie like felt totally flat for me well to to zoom out really quick before i know we're coming up on time oh but no like, you're good go. it, it go could ahead. mean that you know i think that's kind of like a through line with tom holland's peter parker slash spider-man is that a lot of things just kind of happen to him and whenever he does have to make the choice it's always it's normally the the right choice, like when he has to make like the big ones, um, and maybe that's just uh, just part of part of his uh, his arc. <laughs> so with uh, with regards to final thoughts, I also have a uh, a few words here from our beloved uh, Ryan Haley, uh, who once again could not be with us today because he's in a uh, hot air balloon. Uh, but he says, I was very meh on the new Spider-Man. Good enough, but nothing to freak out about a lot. Uh, nothing to freak out about like a lot of people are. He says, I also really wanted to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield hook up by the end of it. And I hope we still get to see that in the future. Overall, he says a six out of ten. And uh, Michael had uh, some similar thoughts. He said, um, Andrew Garfield, good. Movie, bad. Rest in peace, Aunt May. 
Yeah, fair enough. I had one other complaint with this movie <laughs> that I voiced to Evan. Yeah, what do you got? Uh, Evan Evan got the full heat of this one, but uh, in our for context, Evan and I are in probably like eleven different chats on the Wisecrack uh, internal chat mechanism. So he hears my takes on most everything, and this one is it's fucked up to me that Willem Dafoe got to do a power bomb in a Marvel movie before Dave fucking Batista. That's his <laughs> that's his signature fucking finisher. He's been doing power bombs since like before I smoked cigarettes, which is a very long time ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and and I know you're really you're really proud of that too. I mean, it's, it's just a truth of my life. Hopefully, uh, my partner's not watching or she'll yell at. <laughs> but like, it's been like he's been doing uh, like power bombs for so long, and then you just have Willem Dafoe power bomb Peter Parker through the floor of an apartment building, yeah. and it's awesome. But it's like, let, give me a Drax, give me Drax hitting a Batista bomb on like some fucking Cree idiot, and their head explodes. <laughs> We got to steer this into harbor, but I do have one really, uh, one more really important question for Maddie. Who would you like to see deploy the next MCU power bomb? Well, I guess it has to be Drax. <laughs> uh, no, sorry, Drax was Lux. We're doing a draft. <laughs> Lux picks. Lux picks Drax. Been picking Drax since 2012. Oh, the Winter Soldier for sure. Oh, oh, uh, what's his name? Old Bucky there. Good yeah. pick. Bucky Barnes with a uh, okay, Evan. Who who do you want to see uh, deploy MCU's third power bomb? Got got to see Shang Chi. He's got to do it. You oh, <laughs> all right. That's an interesting oh. choice. Yeah, for me, it's got to be uh, Baby Groot. <laughs> see him uh, just wipe somebody out. Um, so we uh, we're running a little bit long, but uh, that's to be expected. We got a full house tonight, uh, so we're we're not going to do any mailbag stuff. But please uh, let us know. When we, uh, when we come back next year, we're going to be uh, interested in seeing what you guys want us to cover. Um, we'll probably, uh, probably do a few of the, uh, the newer movies coming out, some of the Oscar players, uh, maybe The Matrix, maybe Don't Look Up. Uh, we're not 100% sure yet, but um, since we don't have anything from the mailbag lined up tonight, I want to go just uh, around the horn a little bit. This is the last podcast of the year, y'all. Um, other than uh, some of our Marvel favorites, Lux, what are some uh, some great movies you saw this year that you want to recommend to folks Ooh, at home? Oh, fuck. Uh, I loved the shit out of the Green Knight. I've been on COVID retention mostly. I guess Green Knight and Titan are like the two tip tops for me, I think, of the year. Yeah. I really just fucking fell in love with both those movies. Um, I got to see a screening of, uh, I liked Last Night in Soho, all right. I feel like Benedetta would have been up there, but I went to the- I haven't seen I Benedetta. I went to the wrong fucking secret screening at Fantastic Fest. I am so, I got to get, I got to go to one, and uh-huh. I did, my math that I did was the one that's more inconvenient for me to get to is probably the movie I want to see more, so I'll go to that one. <laughs> okay. And it was Last Night in Soho, which was good. But then the other one that would have been really easy to get to was Benedetta, and I missed it. I'm still mad about it. Uh-huh. Oh. Wasn't crazy about Last Night in Soho, but very excited to see Benedetta. Uh, Maddie, what about you? What, uh, what, what nun do you want to see deploy a power bomb on the silver screen? <laughs> Lots of rapidly taking the minute you said <laughs> The minute you said movies from this year, my mind went completely blank, and I have no idea what I watched. Okay, we'll Marvel come back stuff. to you. <laughs> Yeah, give me one more second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take a moment. Evan, what do you got, man? I know, I'm furiously scanning my letterbox. Um, this didn't come oh, out boy. this year, but definitely one of my favorite watches of this year was um, Let Them All Talk, which is Steven Soderbergh's oh, yeah. uh, movie on HBO Max. came out like late last year, so feels like a 2021 release, one, but not on One paper. of his HBO Max releases, uh, one, No Sudden yeah. Move, also came out this year. That's right. Uh, I haven't watched that still. Oh, that was good. Uh, and I really, I really enjoyed uh, In the Heights. I know it's a little contentious of a take there, but it was the first movie I saw back in theaters, and I really liked that. <laughs> All right, Evan, you and I will have a discussion offline. Um, <laughs> Maddie, Maddie, have you thought of anything? Quite frankly, no. Well, I'll go, and then we'll <laughs> the, wrap up. With the, you. the only thing, literally, I'm embarrassed. The only thing that's coming to mind is I watched. I'm still in 2010. I'm catching up to 2020. And I watched Miley Cyrus's The Last Song last week. Who was it? Was, Nicholas, Nicholas Sparks? Yeah, it was really Or is really it just bad. a Nicholas Sparks vibe? So, oh, that's a spark. Wouldn't recommend. For the loyal listeners at home, is this bad movie that I hate and can it's barely remember. really good time capsule of 2010, though. Yeah. Uh-huh. An absolute spark. So. Um, that's what I call Nicholas Sparks movies. <laughs> well, so I watched uh, Red Notice, which was fun. The biggest movie in Netflix history by some, yeah. uh, by some metrics? I didn't know Red Notice existed. I just thought it was a thumbnail. What is Red Notice about? <laughs> it's uh, 
The Rock and Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot all out uh, outsmarting each other as thieves. Ah, it's, kind of like a Mr. and Mrs. and Mr. Smith. Yes. Very Mr. Nice. and Mrs. Smith um, from the Polycule era. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I, uh, I got a chance to talk about, uh, recent movies with, uh, with Burns on our most recent episode of Talking Titan. Um, but, uh, I also wanted to shout out, uh, one movie that didn't come out until this year, but I think was made in 2019 and then was on the festival circuit and then got delayed for COVID. But, um, I, I finally saw this year and that is, uh, St. Maud, Rose Glasses Yo, feature debut. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I really, I really fucking loved it. And, uh, speaking of Benedetta, I think that would be a, a great double feature. Some, uh, some, some sicko religious freaks big, just, uh, doing, doing their, uh, doing their business up on screen. Big plus one on St. Maud for me. I, I really, really enjoyed that movie. That was a, a Halloween times flick that I watched and that was a real joy. Yeah. Is it a horror? It's a, it is a horror. Um, it's, but it's something of a slow burn. Um, it's an A24 release. If, if you know any of their movies like, uh, The Witch and Hereditary, um, there's kind of, uh, not necessarily a house style, but they do gravitate more towards the sort of quiet, dark character studies that sometimes turn a little supernatural in the third act. Um, and I, I really, really liked it. It's anchored by a phenomenal performance, uh, lead performance from, um, I can't remember her name, so I am looking at the back of my Blu-ray right now. <laughs> and uh, wouldn't you know it, it's but not I, on the back of my Blu-ray. <laughs> I'll check really fast. Instead of neurotically checking my phone to see if my COVID test has come in, uh, I will check my phone to see who is the lead in St. Maud really quick. Yeah, all, uh, all respect to her either way. But uh, if you want to keep this conversation going, if you want to talk to us all more about movies, uh, Lux, where can they find you online? Oh, all kinds of places. Uh, so... The main ones are on Twitter. You can find me at Tailboy. That's T-A-I-L underscore B-O-I. Um, I make videos for uh, a now because of some stuff that's happened, a multitude of wrestling shows, including Party World Wrestling and a soon-to-premiere show called Slam Portal that is that is on its way. Uh, so I will be working on those. And you can also find me streaming JRPGs that I'm not very good at. On twitch.tv slash pixelgoblins. Um. And I think that's all the shit that I do. Oh, and also, like, wisecrack shit. Just I, I direct most of the videos. Uh, so that's, like, another thing you can see that I do. And if you want to reach me, Twitter is the best way, because I don't use other social media. Um, uh, thank you very much. Also, it's Morphid Clark plays Maud in St. Maud. Uh, Maddie, what about you? Where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at yourwaitress. You are waitress hell yeah that's a very <laughs> good one i am a waitress um and on twitter oh god i have to get more professional accounts on twitter i'm at fakest bitch i know <laughs> with no um, w with no with w, no w. w. Oh, these are good I, these are very good account names <laughs> I just want to say for folks, you you have to give Maddie a follow. She's one of the funniest folks on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, hundred percent. She's Thank constantly you. throwing fucking heat on Twitter, and I just sometimes I don't I don't like it because I don't want to be the only like because then I'll feel like I'm pandering. Um, that, that was but, like uh, a that was like a backhanded compliment. Yes, yeah. I'm getting like one like from you. So. Well, no, I only bring up your paltry numbers. My numbers are fucking terrible, too. Check us out on Twitter, folks. Yeah. We need the validation. Please. But the only reason that I bring that up is because you, you are throwing, like, viral levels of heat out there. Just your, your fastball on Twitter is just outstanding. Uh, ten years. So. <laughs> ten, ten, <laughs> ten years. A decade, a decade I've been out here grinding. <laughs> she does it. Yeah. She she does it for the fucking love of the game, and that's why everyone out there is listening owes her a follow. Evan, what about you, man? Where can the folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at ye old Evan. Um, and also, if you want to read any of the writing I did about the press for Spider Man No Way oh, Home, yeah. you can look up uh, Wolf of the Week on Substack weekly newsletter about the things that made me say Wolf the longest each week. That's w o o t w and also, uh, I produce here at Wisecrack, so any of the videos you see likely did a little bit on that. It's a it's a phenomenal newsletter as a uh, as a weekly reader and commenter. Uh, I can attest. Um, 
I, uh, I'm a big fan of Wolf of the Week, so uh, not quite as good as uh, Maddie's tweets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we can uh, rival that. But definitely better um, than my stream. So if we had to power rank sort of these three things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I will say Evan's Instagram is some real, uh, some real king shit. He posts some phenomenal photos over there at, uh, at Ye old Evan. Oh, thanks, Ray. This is very um, true. As always, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. Um, uh, feel free to uh, check out my review of In the Heights on Letterboxd if you want to know why Evan and I were briefly locking horns there for a second. Um, and uh, you can follow the podcast. It's at uh, SMTM underscore pod on Twitter. Um, we're not really sure who runs that, but they're doing a hell of a job. Uh, so, yeah, that's at uh, SMTM underscore pod. Uh, and you can uh, contact us at Wisecrack. Um, Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash wisecrack. You can send us emails if you are enterprising enough to find that email address. Good luck. And, uh, of course, you can call in and leave us voicemails on the show. That number, of course, is uh, 555-CRACK. So, um, yeah, I think this is, uh, this is it. Uh, the, uh, the end of the road for 2021. Any, uh, any final words, folks? Let's, ha- let's have a good one next year. <laughs> yeah, I think 2022. We're on a little bit of a losing streak. But let's try and turn things around. <laughs> really turn around. Get those numbers yeah, absolutely. up. Um, and by up, I mean down. If you know which numbers I'm talking about. <laughs> and also apologies. I have uh, no idea. After over a year of doing the show, I don't actually know what our phone number and email are. Uh, usually Austin reads that stuff off. Um, but uh, I'm sure if you're a long-time listener, you can find it. Or check out some of our, our other episodes. It'll be announced at the end of each of those. Problems to plan um, for for 2022. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, But thank you all for listening. Um, We know we uh, ran a little long tonight, but uh, we wanted to give you guys a little something special. And uh, boy, oh boy, uh, I think that's the word for uh, for this episode. So um, that's it, folks. Michael, want to send us home? Uh, What do I say? Show me the meaning again? Uh, No, what you say is goodbye from Hollywood, California. (laughs) Goodbye from Hollywood, California. Now Maddie. Now Maddie does it. (laughs) Goodbye from Hollywood, California. And Evan, send us home for real. Um, uh, Goodbye from uh, Hollywood, California. (laughs) All right. Happy holidays, folks.